Okay, well, welcome to our Wandering Ones seminar. Um, what I like to do at the beginning of the seminar is always to sort of acknowledge we're not in this alone. Um, so what I'd like to do is if you could just say your name and what your relationship is to your wanderer. And if you don't currently have a wanderer, um, if this is a preemptive strike or just sort of wanting to do forewarned, um, praise God, we're glad you're here. Um, so if we could just go around, we'll start over on this side and a lot of ups and downs and loop-de-loops with this road. Okay, did I get everybody? Okay, great. Here is my tribe, so you can kind of get an idea of who we are. Um, this is, and some of you, if you've been around Mount Hermon for a while, you might recognize some of them. This guy here on the end is our son, Eric. Um, he is working as an accountant in Santa Barbara. He's kind of a smarty pants with numbers. And he also served here on summer staff for three summers as a lifeguard. So I hope he didn't have to save your life. But he also worked in childcare for two summers. And then myself, and then the little one in the front is our daughter, Masha. She's super short. Well, her brothers are really, really tall, but she works in the dining room. So you might see her pouring your coffee and clearing your plate, and she loves um, demonstrating her serving skills in the dining room. So that's why I'm up here full-time this summer, so that she can have the experience of working full-time at Mount Hermon. And then my husband, who is right behind her, he is the engine that makes the family go. He is the one that comes, and he comes in as often as he can. He's in Southern California and also working in San Francisco. And so he, uh, we just came off of about a 10-day stay. So that's been great. So my husband, Brian, this is the star of our show. That is our granddaughter, Haley. Uh, she just turned one in July, and she is being held by our oldest son, David, her dad. He also works, he works for a software company in Santa Barbara. If you were in day camp, oh, maybe, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago, he was Spike at day camp for three summers, and that is where he met our beautiful daughter-in-law, Anne, who is Winnie at day camp, um, so they met here. And she stays home and hangs out with Haley during the day. And then that handsome guy in the end in the Dodgers t-shirt is uh, our son, Kevin. He lives in Santa Barbara also. He works for the same software company that his older brother, David, does. And he is our wanderer. He is the one that has just said, you know, it's just not for me anymore. And... You know, so that's my family on the outside. We look awesome, we look great. And then, but like every family, we have things that we're dealing with. It's, it's, and we're, it's part of that club. It's the Wandering Loved One Club. We didn't want to join it, but he, and he elected us to join that club. And, and like all those other clubs, the Divorce Club and the Diagnosis Club and the Financial Disaster Club, we don't choose to join them, but we're there and we're all here together. Um, so I hope that there's some things that can be helpful for you today as you are on this road with your wanderer. And I really, last week I was talking with some people, they said, you know, some of these principles, they work for all the other clubs too. So um, let me pray for us as we begin. Heavenly Father, um, we didn't want to have to come to a seminar like this. And yet, we're grateful that you have words for us. I pray, God, that I would hear from you, that um, you would have words that would be an encouragement to the people here today. May it be, Lord, that this hour would be for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So to start out, I want to make sure that um, there's a few things I want to say just at the outset. 
Um, first, I have my son Kevin's permission to share this story. Um, when I decided that this was something that I needed to talk about, I told him, you know, Kev, um, I've been learning a lot since your senior year of college. That's when he decided to walk away. And um, I said, honey, you know what happens when, when I learn things from God? And he starts laughing and he says, oh, mom, I totally get it. You absolutely have my permission to share whatever you want to share. So um, it's important to consider how we speak about our loved ones um, that are wandering. Because if you're sharing your story, and this is somebody you love very much, their story is gonna intersect with your story and it can get tangled up and it can get a little complicated and tricky. Um, it's not insurmountable, but I really think it's important to pay attention to how we speak about our wanderers. Um, in telling of my story, I don't diminish the heartache and how hard it's been, but I have no desire to disparage my son. Um, and second, I mentioned in the auditorium, this isn't a fix it or a how-to. Um, our job is not to fix our wanderers. Our job is to be faithful to Jesus and to receive from him what he desires to have us learn through this process. Um, so in light of that, the main subject of this seminar is not your loved one. The main subject of the seminar is Jesus and how does he transform us? How does he use this circumstance as we walk on this life journey with our wanderers? Um, so here's where we're going to go this morning. I gave you a little handout. We've got this blank template here, this slide. So the first thing we're going to talk about is what is our response when we have someone that we either sort of like we witness it, like, uh-oh, uh-oh, there they go, there they go, ah, they're gone. Or there's an announcement, I no longer believe. What is our response? How are we dealing with this? Then we're going to look at where would we rather be? What, where would God, like, how would he like to pour into our lives as we are experiencing this? And then what happens? What's the transformation that takes place in this middle space? How do we get from this response, our initial response to what's going on with our loved ones, how do we get over there? to this landing pad. So that's kind of where we're gonna, um, we're gonna be heading. Now, before we dive into our responses, I think it's helpful to um, think about, there's all the different ways people wander. Every story is unique. Everybody in here that has a wanderer, your story is unique to your family. But sometimes it helps to sort of try to get our heads around what's going on. I mean, Becca, you mentioned the millennials, and there's, a, there's some threads that are common with what they are dealing with. Um, so the different ways people wander. Sometimes you are going to encounter the flat-out angry rebellion. It's, um, it rejects God, and maybe it's rejected you. I no longer want to have anything to do with you. Do not call me. Do not text me nothing. That is the pain that is layered upon pain that is layered upon pain. Um, then there's another type. I see this a lot. It's the, um, it's kind of that slow drift. It, it looks like apathy towards faith. Um, your loved one could, they could be described as a very pleasant person, really nice to go out to lunch with. Um, at some level, they might acknowledge that, okay, there's God, I believe in a God kind of out there, um, but they've ceased to live their life in real surrender to Jesus. They don't appear to care about God, and it actually might bug them that you care that they don't care, right? So they, there's a little, there's, the tension arises. Um, then there's some wanderers that they've made a very deliberate decision 
I've looked at it, I reject it, I am taking on a whole new faith construct. I am taking on something completely different. Um, they, are, they can be very nice people too and considered very successful, but they have rejected the scriptures and rejected Jesus and do not claim him as savior. So those are just sort of some broad general descriptors and I'm sure you all have your own stories as well. Um, the spiritual journey of our son Kevin it was, it's been, it, he's this, he's one of those, up and down, up and down. It's been marked with some seasons of really deep connectedness to Jesus, walking very closely with Jesus. There's been seasons of the flat out rebellion and angry. And, and when he and I were kind of talking about this and he mentioned um, at one point he was actually giving a speech in his brother's wedding and he said, yeah, my, my, uh, the summer before my senior year of high school, I was on a real hot streak of poor life choices. And that was, and there was a lot of people in that room that remembered that, and it was very, very true. Um, I asked him in preparation for this, I, I sent him big chunks of this seminar, and I said, Kevin, where would you describe yourself now? Do you fit in one of these categories, or what do you think? And, and he said, you know, I'm probably in the second one. Just kind of, it's just not, a, it doesn't really matter to me right now. You know, Mom, I'm, you know, I'm 26, and maybe it'll matter later. Okay, great. Keep me, keep me posted. Um, so let's start with our response. What is our response when we become aware of, we receive the news, we see our loved one wandering? Give me some words. Give me some descriptors, descriptors of what has been your response? How have you felt when you, sadness, scared, fearful, frustrated, frustrated really frustrated? Oh, that God's sovereignty issue, if he just gave me a minute of it. <laughs> yeah, we'd love to fix it. Disappointed. Uh-huh. Yes. What, what, what did I do wrong? Nothing. <laughs> How has the church failed him? Mm -hmm. Yeah, looking outside. What are, what, trying to figure out what it, why did this happen? We look for answers, trying to figure it out. It awkward. awkward. That's the first time I've heard that one. Awkward. How do you, how do you have a conversation now? Okay. Surreal. Surreal. It's like, what in the world is going on? Okay. Anger. Mm hmm. Worried? Anxious? Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> That's my favorite one. I know. I was, I've sent people from this seminar on Thursday. Go hear that one. Yeah, exactly. Um, they're all, these are all very real, normal responses to this. So we're going to... Um, what I've done is... I, I, and kind of through talking to people through my own experience, I've kind of boiled some of the responses down, a lot of what you said, a lot of what I've experienced. I've done a lot of conversational research with people. I've talked to a lot of people that have loved ones that have wandered from the Lord, and I asked them, just like I asked you, what, how are you dealing with this? What is it, what wells up in you when you think about your loved one? And so I came up with three that are the most common ones. The anxiety, worry, fear, um, anger, frustration, fury, <laughs> um, and then the sadness, the disappointment, the, um, the sorrow over it. 
Um, so what is then the counter? Where do we want to land on that? And what, what is it that we're looking to have happen? We need some transformation. I'm assuming these are experiences. You don't want to stay here. This is where we don't want to stay stuck. So we are looking for some transformation to get to that landing pad. So where we're going to really zero in and what fills in those blue bubbles, OK? We want to want what God wants in our life as we are on this wandering road. Um, now, I want to make it clear, too. I don't, there are times when I felt like my entire day, every day, was full of anxiety, or my entire day, every day, was full of anger or sadness. But I don't think I lived there. It, it's, it's too exhausting. I don't live there all the time. Sometimes I'm in neutral. And it's, it, it, there, there's an awkwardness. And so it's kind of, you know, let's just, let's just be Switzerland. Let's just not try to figure, let's, because I'm dealing with that person. But what if I'm in that anxious place? Where do I want to go? What would I like to be instead? And we're going to tackle these one, on, one by one so that we don't have to just be in neutral. We can actually be in a transformative place that God takes us to to thrive. Um, so the first one I want to tackle is the anxiety issue. This is the most common scripture, the most familiar scripture that I know of that deals with anxiety. Do not be anxious about everything, anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we have a command, don't be anxious, which acknowledges there are circumstances that will cause anxiety. That's the normal part. Um, scripture tells us not to stay there. We want to launch off of that. It gives us a solution, prayer, with thanksgiving. And then the result is the peace of God, the kind of peace that makes no sense given what your circumstances are. So I would say that that um, scripture tells us that peace would be the promised, desired landing pad if we want to launch off of anxiety. Now, it doesn't say God's going to automatically give you a yes to what is causing you anxiety, but he says that the peace of God is possible with prayer, thankful spirit, and I really wish life was just as tidy as that verse, okay? Don't be anxious. Pray. Peace will come. All done. <laughs> I have found that it is when we are in those places of good hard work towards something that that's where Jesus does his heavy lifting in our souls. That's what gets us when we experience that transformation, when we are willing to just not take the pat, tidy answers. Um, so what can get us from that place of anxiety and worry over to peace? Well, I was reading um, Ruth Bell Graham's book. It's called Prodigals and Those Who Love Them. And in one section she was writing about, I sure maybe some of you have experienced this with me. I love that Ruth Bell Graham and I had an experience we could share, waking up in the middle of the night with your loved one just right at the front lobe, and um, the anxiety begins to set in. And so this is what she wrote um, about that experience. She said, suddenly the Lord said to me, quit studying the problems and start studying the promises. And then she starts describing her response to Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and she zeroed in on the phrase, with thanksgiving. She said, suddenly I realized the missing ingredient in my prayers had been 
with thanksgiving. So I put down my Bible and spent time worshiping him for who and what he is. I began to thank God for giving me this one I loved so dearly in the first place. I even thanked him for the difficult spots that taught me so much. And then here's the money shot in my mind when she wrote this. That was when I learned that worship and worry cannot live in the same heart. They are mutually exclusive. That was just, that was a mind blower for me. As a follower of Christ, I am called to live a life of worship, a life that worships the one true God, a life devoted to worship to Jesus. If I'm consumed with worry about my son, I cannot maintain a posture of worship. My posture is worry. Worship and worry cannot coexist. I believe it's worship that will transform us from anxiety to peace. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, hold the phone, because I pray all the time for my loved one. I mean, I'm all about 1 Thessalonians 5.17. I am praying without ceasing. That's worship, right? I'm, but I worry all the time. How does this work? Well, do this with me. I, um, I want to dive a little bit deeper into how we pray for our loved ones. When we get to that point of worship and anxiety, creeping in and thinking about your prayers. I'm a visual prayer. I don't know if some of you are like that, but I envision very often myself, um, I take Kevin and I'm praying for Kevin and I'm laying Kevin at the feet of Jesus. I just picture myself laying him down there. Now, there have been times where I have pictured myself grabbing him and body slamming him down at the feet of Jesus because then I'm mixing up my anxiety and my anger, but it's all real. And I will tell you too, there have been times where I've looked at him there at the feet of Jesus, and then I see myself just kind of curling up next to him at the feet of Jesus. And I just say, Jesus, please, please, please bring him home. Have you prayed that? Lord, woo her back to you. And that can be a sweet place to be there at the foot of Jesus with your loved one. It's a safe place, but if I'm to consider my desire to get to that peace that doesn't make sense and to be in that place of worship, I believe there comes a point where I have to get up and leave my loved one at the feet of Jesus. And I need to climb into the lap of Jesus and in my prayers, put my hands on the side of his face and say, Jesus, I need to see you. And I, when I look at you, I see your loving kindness and I see your faithfulness. And in the middle of the night, I am grabbing Jesus' face and I'm saying, I see your mercy and I see that you are trustworthy. And eventually, I realize I have fallen back asleep into a deep, sweet sleep because I have spent my time worshiping God for who he is. He wants to transform us from our anxiety to peace through the worship of him and who he is. The writer of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament says in chapter 3, verse 1, that we're to fix our thoughts on Jesus. And then later in the book, he tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. When our thoughts and our eyes are fixed on Jesus, they're not fixed on our loved one who's there at the feet of Jesus. We've left them in a very safe place. But we're called to worship now, fully and unencumbered. Now in that verse in Hebrews 12, before we can fix our eyes on Jesus, 
It talks about throwing off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And that, that can be worry. What I find a lot, it's our anger. That's kind of the next place. It's the next response when our loved one wanders from the Lord. It's, it, it makes you mad. Um, I've been there. I don't like being there. Anger is not my favorite experience. Um, I like anxiety way better than anger, so I tend to hang out in anxiety more. But I have been angry because my son is mucking up my vision of my perfect Christian family. How dare you? We look so good in that picture, but that's not how we are all the time. He's changing the narrative of our family story. So now Easter and Christmas, what do we do with that? He's, and when I realize sometimes, sometimes for people, the anger that you experience is in response to a really angry person. And there have been ugly things said and disrespectful treatment and disregard for you and what is important to you. So those feelings of anger, they're real and they're legitimate. They are in your face. So what, where do we wanna land instead? Cause like, if you're like, I, I hate being angry. Um, so I say, oh, a lot of times they say, well, I'm just not gonna be that way then. But I haven't experienced a true transformation. I'm just ignoring what's really underneath there. Well. To look at this, um, I, wanna go, I go to scripture. That's where I go when I'm in an uncomfortable place. And I want to look at the, um, the most familiar story of a lost and wandering loved one. In Luke 15, Jesus is speaking to the crowd about what we know to be the prodigal son. You know, there's a man. He has two sons. The younger son decides, to use my son Kevin's phrase, he goes on a real hot streak of poor life choices. And at that point, he realizes, wow, it would be so much better if I could just hang out with my dad's servants than these pigs. And he goes home to beg his father's forgiveness. And then we read in Luke 15, 20, but while he, the prodigal son, was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And we're given a description of the best robe and the ring and this elaborate party and as a demonstration of the most lavish kind of love. Well, it's not hard to unpack in this story that the father's response in this story to his prodigal son is God's response to the lost and wandering. Well, I would like to land where God resides. I would like his response to be my response. And it can't be my response when I'm angry. But where I want to land is a place of compassion and lavish love. Those are the characteristics of the Father that I want to embrace. Now, compassion is defined as this feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is struck by misfortune. So that's like the noun form of compassion. But then it goes on to say it is accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. So that's a movement towards the verb form of compassion. Now, nowhere in that definition does it talk about compassion being available only if the misfortune is not of the self-inflicted nature, like the prodigal son. He brought that all on himself. And how many of you have watched the poor choices your loved one has been making and you're going, well, it's your own dumb fault? but that is not the compassion and lavish love. It's right, but it's not the compassion and lavish love that our Father wants us to, 
demonstrate. It's when compassion the noun and compassion the verb meet, it is demonstrated in that lavishly loving father of our story. First John 3, 1 says, how great is the love the father has lavished on us so that we should be called children of God. You know, and so, as I've been working on this, I wonder, you know, was John thinking about this story when he wrote that? I don't know. But he was listening to this story when Jesus was talking to all those lost, the sinners and the tax collectors, but also in the audience were the Pharisees, those people that were angry at the lost for being lost. We are in need of transformation to get to this compassion and lavish love. So God, that character of the story, the Father, he doesn't need any transformation. He's already perfect, com perfectly compassionate and loving. So in order to figure out how to get to that place, I want to spend a little time talking about the other person in the story, not the prodigal, but the older brother. Because he heard about his brother's return and he did not have that compassionate and loving response of his father. In fact, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. The older son just teased off on his dad, highlighting the unfairness of this whole thing. He's towed the line. He's lived by the rules, and he's never had a party. Okay, two things to observe about the older brother that I think we can learn from. The story that Jesus tells, he there is never any interaction between the older brother and the prodigal, his younger brother. He's mad at his dad. Is that ever true of us? Are we mad at God because of how this is all played out? Because I took my kids to Sunday school, I volunteered in their VBS, I did all the right things. Maybe you and your siblings, you went to youth group together and camp together and you locked arm in arm and we're going to do this together. And now you get together as a family and the only thing you can talk about is sports and the weather. And it just feels so empty and so shallow. You have a parent that has done a 180 on everything that they taught you. Or you have a spouse You stood up and you made vows that Christ was going to be the center of your marriage, and then they've said, I changed my mind. Where is God in all of this? You're questioning, you're doubting, you're fist shaking, it's all real, and God is not surprised, hurt, or offended. In fact, what he is telling you is what he told his angry son. You are always with me. Everything I have is yours What he offered to the wandering son, he's offering to the older son as well. Compassion and lavish love. But to receive it, we have to put that aside. And that brings us to the second observation. Because of his anger, the older brother refused to go in. He was missing out on the party. The only thing on his mind, on the older brother's mind, is how unfairly he's been treated. And I will say very often when I've been mad at Kevin in a mad place, what it's really boiled down to is how his decision to affect Jesus, to leave Jesus has affected me. Now that's my mad place, it's not my sad place, but it's my very real mad place. You know what? That's my problem. I have to decide if I want to go into the party I acknowledge how very mad I am about this whole mess and nonsense, but if I stay stuck there, I'm not going into the party. I am missing out. 
Now the story ends with this affirmation of the older brother's place with his father, but it doesn't tell us what he decides to do. But what we know is the father desired for him to come in and join in the joy. If we're sitting outside the party, if we're not acknowledging the reality of our own perpetual existence with the Father who is compassionate and loving for us, we're angry. What do we do in the space that's in the middle there in that blue bubble to move from our frustration and fury at God or at our wanderer to get to the place where we can demonstrate compassion and lavish love? Now, I will say there are some people that have a wanderer where they need to have some significant boundaries in their lives. Um, there's destructive behaviors. And so your lavish love is demonstrated by faithfully and prayerfully waiting. And it is hard. And in that waiting, you are still invited to join the party. Now, getting from there to here means believing that the party is worth what, whatever I'm clinging on to. If I can get rid of whatever I'm clinging on to, I can join the party. It's laying aside anything that might prevent me from joining the party of God's presence. Sometimes it's our anger at our loved one or at God. You know, there was um, a moment when I actually watched my husband. I physically watched him transform. <laughs> he made a decision to move from anger to compassion and lavish love. Um, Kevin was in college at this point. There had been another setback, you know, we get the phone call, and, and we're just like, really? Again? I thought we were through with this. I thought we had moved past this. We were over here, and now you're taking us back here. And we were mad. And Kevin was on his way. He was coming home. And we were mad, we were pooped. And Kevin comes through the door, and I watch my husband get up out of his chair, and he walked down the hall, and he opened his arms, and he wrapped my son in a hug. And they just stood there. And Kevin is weeping. I'm weeping. My husband's patting his back. And I'll tell you, we had a wonderful conversation with him after that, and there was forgiveness asked for, and it was given. And that would not have happened if our response had been anger. The only way we could move to a transformation place is if we were willing to demonstrate compassion and lavish love towards him as we had received it from the Father. So I figured if my husband was going to do that, I had to too. And so I, yes, Kevin, I love you too. Um, to lay it down. The transformation can only happen when we acknowledge we have to let go of the things that we're hanging on to, the things that prevent us from joining the party. It's, oops, sorry. Oh, I, it's laying down our idols. Sorry, PowerPoint. Um, now, idolatry is a tricky thing. You can say, yeah, anger, I don't want to hang on to that. Maybe it's reputation, the perfect Christian family. We all agree that can be an easy idol. I don't want to do that. But what about the idols that are something that is good? It's our marriage. It's our ministry. It's hearing that all my loved ones are walking in the truth. In his book, Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you 
what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I had that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. You know, I was struck with a really painful truth in my life at one point with my wanderer because I was sharing with some very trusted friends my heartache about Kevin's wandering. And as I spoke about it, I started crying because I cry a lot over this, but I realized I was also tensing up. And suddenly I said to these women, I said, I feel like all my prayers are so angsty and they're so pleading. I said, I don't think I have any joy in my relationship with Jesus right now. And I realized that those prayers were good, but they had consumed my relationship with Jesus. I mean, basically, to glean from Keller's definition, Kevin's return to Jesus had absorbed my heart and imagination more than God himself. I mean, it was weird in a kind of a convoluted way. I had made Kevin's relationship with Jesus my idol. My desire for Kevin to return to Jesus was overwhelming and smothering my desire for Jesus himself. It began to define my own relationship with Jesus. I needed to express to God my sadness and my sorrow and my anger about the whole thing, but I needed to lay it down and join the party. You know, Psalm 31, 3 through 4 says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy presence? Who may join the party? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. So whether our idol is our anger or our idol is our wanderer or something else, we need to let it go because we won't join the party. We cannot be transformed to a place of compassion and lavish love if we're hanging on to that. We can't give away compassion and lavish love if we have not received compassion and lavish love from our Father. So let's move on and talk about our next set of responses. It's the sad and sorrowful place. Because very often what I found is I'm, I'm trying to work in this, ang I'm in the angry place, I'm trying to work over there, but then actually I get kind of tired. And when I get tired of being angry, that's when I just, I'm just so sad. And I haven't quite gotten over to compassion and lavish love. You work on all of these things at the same time. And I think sometimes when we are really sad over our loved one who has wandered from the Lord, a lot of it stems from that feeling of helplessness. Like we just can't do anything about this. Especially when it's our adult children, our adult siblings. You know, when they were younger, we could ground them and make them go to youth group. I mean, it was, but when they're adults, it's really, we've lost any, sometimes we've lost our voice in it, so we feel very helpless. And Paul, the Apostle Paul writes about this feeling of helplessness in Romans 9, and he describes his immense sadness over the state of his fellow Jews, people that were dear to his heart. They have rejected the Messiah, and it's a very familiar cry in Paul's words. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever be praised, amen. And have you ever joined me in this place? 
wanting to bargain with God to change the course of your loved one's life. I mean, when Paul is writing, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, he's saying, I would give up my own relationship with Jesus if they would accept Jesus. I mean, I remember I was having a very loud conversation with God at one point. I was feeling so helpless, and I actually said out loud to God, God, if you, if you need to give me cancer in order for Kevin to return to Jesus, I am so okay with that. Go ahead. I, mean, I was trying to wrest this sovereignty away from God. And because like Paul, I was very dumb. I've been rather dumbfounded by this whole thing because Paul writes of these Jews that are part of this long legacy of the Messiah. And my wanderer has a long legacy of faith. And I've really struggled with God's sovereignty over this. Because again, like I mentioned before, I think if God put me in charge for just a minute, I could work out a lot of things. Um, but you know, this sovereignty job is a burden I, we are never meant to bear. Um, Sharon Hod Miller, she writes for an app called uh, She Reads Truth. It's a devotional app. And she writes about this conundrum in, that Paul is dealing with in Romans 9. And she says this, the relationship between God's power and our free will is a mysterious one indeed. When it comes to, to the decision of a loved one, God's sovereignty removes the weight from our shoulders. Namely, we cannot force someone to make the right choice. We cannot yell someone into wisdom. We cannot wrestle someone into agreeing with us. And we cannot compel transformation. There is only one who directs the streams of human hearts, and that is God alone. And that is where Paul lands in Romans 9, declaring that Jesus, from the line of the patriarchs, is God Overall, forever be praised. Amen. Paul is helpless, but he is not hopeless. And praise God, the same can be said of us. That's the landing pad for sadness. Hope. Now, some people would say, well, I, would, I thought if you don't want to be sad, you would rather have joy or happiness. And joy's good. I like joy. But when it comes to my wanderer, I find that my only hope is in Christ that will then lead to joy. So I'm aiming to land first on hope. And you know, scripture is full of so many calls to and promises of hope in the midst of sorrow. And one of the most poignant is, I think, in the book of Lamentations. This is an entire book, six chapters of expressions of sorrow and sadness as the writer is reflecting on the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem at the hand of the Babylonians. This whole book is lament, except for this little set of verses right in the middle. In the midst of nothing but sorrow over the just judgment of God, we see hope. Lamentations 3, 19 through 26. I remember my affliction and my wandering, their wandering, the bitterness and the gall, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, because his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. 
this movement from sorrow to hope, again, what's happening in the blue bubble? What's happening in the transformation place? Because like the writer of Lamentations, looking on sadness, looking on destructive circumstances, we can look at the circumstances of our loved one and it can look very sad. We see the emptiness of worldly pursuits. We witness the consequences of disastrous choices. That's normal to be sad. I'm not saying we're gonna ignore normal or even try to fix normal. What I'm saying is that we are called to be transformed because what Jesus offers is hope. So hope can become normal. What gets us from sorrow to hope? When we look at the circumstances, it's sad making. So how do we get to the hope-filled place? I think the best way I have found to approach this is to consider the lens through which you're looking at your loved one. Because what filters through the lens, and I have a fun photo of a lens, see how much clarity you get when you look through the lens. It determines how you see everything. So what's the lens that's the first thing you see and what you see everything else through? Is it the circumstances? That's normal. If I look through the lens of the circumstances, that makes me very sad, and so therefore I look for Jesus out there, and I land on Jesus, and I thank him, oh my goodness, I'm so glad you're in charge of this, and we've maneuvered our way over to hope. That's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. It's not wrong, but what if there was another way? What if the lens in front of us was Jesus first? the face of Jesus. And what if we saw Jesus with such clarity that when we looked at the circumstances, we were looking through the lens of Jesus? Does that make sense? Like, do we want to see Jesus over here through the lens of the circumstances? Or do we want to see the circumstances through the lens of Jesus? Now, you could say, okay, that's kind of splitting hairs and that's semantics, but honestly, when I'm in the depths of sadness, I'm not up for a wrestling match with all those circumstances. Just give me Jesus and let me land on the hope that he offers. When I look into his face, let, that, let me see everything through the lens of Jesus. Because when I'm looking through that, I see his salvation, and I see his comfort, and his mercy, and truth. And then the circumstances of my wander is bathed in everything that is Jesus. I have switched the lens. That's hope. Because now, if I have this lens of Jesus in front of me, hope is actually my starting point, And it becomes my trajectory and my landing pad. My new lens, I can see that with hope. Now, I will fully acknowledge, it's not always going to work this way. Because sometimes the circumstances, they fall in those shock and awe kind of categories. And they, are, they can be devastated. We are going to see those first. Again, I'm not here to deny normal. But I believe and I think experience confirms that if I continue to push the lens of Jesus in front, it becomes more habit than work. It's where I want to start. It's where I want to land. It can become more normal. God has wonderful, transforming work for us. And as we consider this praying and moving towards these landing pads, I, and I told you, this seminar is not about your loved one. This is about what God is doing in your life. 
However, I do believe it is really important in how we pray for our loved ones. And this is where some transformation can take place as well. Um, I have a point of prayer that I would think is important for us to consider. I pray scripture a lot. I use that as a, as a prompt for a lot of my prayers. Um, so I include praying scripture over my wanderer. And Psalm 16 is written by David, and it's a prayer for the Lord's protection, and it's a declaration of trust in God and David's confidence in God's care for him. But there's one verse in there that's a verse of contrast, a verse describing those who do not trust in God. Psalm 16, verse 4, says, The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. And then David says, I'm not going to do that. As long as your loved one is wandering, running after other gods, their sorrows will increase. And in this, we have hope. It's hard to watch, but we have to ask ourselves, can we pray, God, do what you need to do and allow what you need to allow to bring this wanderer home? Amen. Or... Have you been like me? Are you like me? God, please bring him back to you. But protect him from the dangers of the world that he's steeped in. For so long I've qualified my prayers for my wanderer because we think about the awful possibilities and potentials that are out there. And then we get in that anxious place and the worries start spinning. And God, bring him back to you, but protect him from the job firing and the loss of friends and the arresting officers and the spinal cord injuries or the unintended pregnancies and the bad investments and the bad choices and all the bad people. Or can you pray, God, do what you need to do and allow what you need to allow. I have prayed for Kevin to be miserable. I have prayed that he would not be happy or content or satisfied with his life apart from Christ. A father of a wanderer once told me, I don't think I can do that. It just sounds so hard because he was thinking of his son. And you know, the only response I had is I said, you know, I thought so too until I prayed it because that was my last white flag of relinquishing my son to his compassionate and loving father. Now, I also have some scriptures for you that I want to give you before you leave today um, to pray over places of transformation, to pray where you want to land as you're walking on this road with your wanderer. Um, your wanderer is far from home, is lost, but you are not. Jesus wants to transform you through worship. He wants to transform you as you lay down your idols. He wants to transform you as you see life in this, on this road through the lens of Jesus. So I want to pray for us as we go out this morning. God, I ask that for every wanderer that is represented in this room, would their sorrows increase as they go after other gods? as they are far from you. Would you do what you need to do? Would you allow what you need to allow to bring them home? And as we are watching this, Lord, would you give us the miraculous peace that doesn't make sense? Would you lavish us with your love and your faithful compassion? 
And may we never, ever live a day without hope because you are our hope. And we trust that you are who you say you are. We are so grateful that you will never leave us and never forsake us. And the same is true of our wanderers. In Jesus' name, amen. So before you leave today, if you, have, if you are interested in praying some scriptures over you, your life as you walk with your wanderer, um, feel free to grab one of these. I'll just pass them around and just leave them on the table as you go out. But thank you for coming. Um, hope you enjoy your first day of family camp and the rest of your week. So.